And now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come and that you will breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said this morning, I get to say it again, Happy New Year, Open Gate Church. Um, yes, it's getting, feels like every day is New Year, but but it is the beginning of our liturgical New Year. And as I mentioned this morning, uh, I was unsure how many of us would be here this morning. I I wrote a sermon, and then I spent all of yesterday, uh, I thought it was an important one, so I thought I'll spend all of yesterday concerned about whether I should save that for next week. And uh, so even we had, it's Esther's birthday today, so we had her family over last night, and Becky even gave me leave from my vacuuming duties to go and uh, get started. And so I got started writing something else, and really it was all about me overthinking things. And so then I prayed, I said, okay, God, what should I do? And as the more I thought about this other message, you know, it was with the sense of anxiety, the more I thought about this one, it was with the sense of peace. So in obedience, here it is. This is, the <laughs> this is our message for this morning. Uh, last week we celebrated the last Sunday of our church calendar, which I suggested was kind of like a New Year's Eve party. Um, however, unlike my own experiences of New Year's Eve parties, the church's New Year's Eve is far from a letdown, far from disappointing, because it is the Sunday that we celebrate the ultimate glorification of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father as Christ the King. Now the end of the last liturgical year has brought us to the beginning, the advent of another. And some of you are probably aware that advent comes from the Latin adventus, which means coming, it means arrival, it means appearance, it means approach. Advent is a season of expectation and preparation for the celebration of the coming, the arrival, the appearance, the approach of Jesus. And every year we prepare for the celebration of Jesus' birth, the incarnation when God became fully man and dwelt among us. And we also prepare with expectation for Christ's final advent, his arrival, his appearance, his approach, his coming again. Uh, last this week, I went to pick up the girls from school. I was on Wednesday, and I ran into one of the dads in the parking lot as we were waiting. And he asked me what I was going to be talking on on Sunday. I said, it's Advent. And he said, I don't want mean to be sarcastic, but I do wish that we would focus more on Jesus' second coming than we do on all the Christmas festivities that we focus on during Advent. And I said, you should come on Sunday. That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> And so on this first Sunday of the Advent season, as we continue our journey through the creed, our shared statement of faith of what we believe, we come today to the affirmation that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Or as we say in the words of the Nicene Creed, which we'll read together today, that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. As we have been journeying together through the creed, we've also been journeying through our catechism, our shared guidebook, our manual 
on what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a citizen in his kingdom here on earth. And the Catechism asks us, what does the Creed mean when it says, he will come again? When we say this together, we're affirming that we believe and are assured by Jesus' promise that he will return. As we heard in our reading this morning from the Gospel according to Mark, Jesus promised that one day the people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Jesus promised that his coming in victory, in great power and glory, will be seen by all people and will bring this age to an end. Jesus' coming will mark the end of something and bring about the beginning of something new. And we read more about this in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, this well-known verse that tells us there will be a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away. God has revealed to us through his word that the present world order, the way things are, will pass away. That God will usher in a new, fully renewed creation, one that will stand forever. His kingdom will have no end. And in that kingdom, all the saints, all God's people, will be together with God. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, as we read in Revelation. Now, when I was talking to this uh, dad in the parking lot, he asked me where I stand on eschatology, uh, theology of the end times. Again, our kids go to a Christian school, so <laughs> this doesn't happen in every parking lot. And then he invited me to coffee uh, to, to talk about it, so that was exciting. But I shared with him how I would be talking this morning uh, about our gospel reading, in which we heard Jesus explain that we don't know when this is going to happen. Jesus says, about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We do not and cannot know when Jesus will return. All we do know is that he will return unexpectedly and that this could be at any moment. Now, it's always helpful for us to remind ourselves of this, especially when we see things happening around the world that look so much like the tribulations and signs that Scripture prophesies will mark the eve of his coming, his approach. It's always good for us, therefore, to remember that for centuries the church has witnessed similar tribulations and signs. And that a few church leaders over the course of history have made the mistake of taking it upon themselves to proclaim that this meant the day or the hour was here. Now, we are witnessing something like this at the moment. The current and historically ongoing war in Israel, the Holy Land, has been devastating to those involved. There's been inexplicably tragic loss of innocent lives, horrific to witness. It's led to escalated tensions and division worldwide. 
And the Bible does describe events such as these and does explain that they will be a sign that Jesus is coming soon. And what we are witnessing may be the signs that we read about in Scripture. Jesus may be coming very soon, but they may also not be just yet. We do not and cannot know until he does. As I always say, Jesus hasn't given us the task of calculating the day or the hour, just as he's not given us the task of bringing about his return through our own actions, of enabling him to come. Anyone who preaches that Jesus can't come again until we do such and such is missing the mark. That being said, Jesus does give us instructions on what we should do as we wait for him in the anticipation of his return. As we heard today, be vigilant, be watchful, be prepared. And he also gives us instructions on what this means. How should we live in anticipation of Jesus' return? Before Jesus ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he promised to return, and he encouraged all his disciples to be prepared for this by focusing on the jobs he had given them, on the task at hand, on the tasks and teaching with which he provided us, which all falls in essence to the summary of the law that we just heard this morning, loving God, loving our neighbors goes beyond that in more detail, and our catechism goes into a further detailed summary of this task, describing it as being filled with the Holy Spirit, living a holy life, and sharing the hope of new life in Christ with others. And this is so important Because, as our creed also affirms, not only will Jesus come again, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Back when I was in university, I read the novel A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, and an entire chapter of this book, chapter 3, right in the middle of the story, like 20% of the book, is the main character listening to a sermon on death and damnation, hellfire and brimstone. And while in the novel, the chapter ends with those who hear the sermon terrified by what they've heard and praying for forgiveness, James Joyce's writing is very complex to say the least, and so my university professor lectured us on how this could be interpreted as a scathing critique of the church and their use of fear and the threat of death and damnation, hellfire and brimstone to compel people to join them. To be fair, this may be a fair critique of the church in the past, and for this reason these days, we preachers don't really like and and maybe avoid preaching on these things on the hellfire and brimstone, on judgment and condemnation. But just because we don't like something doesn't mean it isn't true. Jesus has promised that he will come again to judge. Whether we choose to like it or agree with it or even believe it or not, isn't going to change what he's going to do. 
Remember last week, we celebrated Christ the King Sunday, that Jesus is our Lord, our God, our King, that we take our orders from Him, not ourselves, and He doesn't take His orders from us. What He's going to do isn't based on what he think he's, we think He's going to do. Jesus has promised that He will come again to judge. But this is not a threat. I'm not sharing this with you to terrify you into asking for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we should live in fear. So then, how should we understand Jesus' future judgment? Our catechism explains that Scripture, the Word of God, does inform us that all people, whether living or dead, will be judged by Jesus Christ. Scripture also informs us that those apart from Christ will receive eternal rejection and punishment. But those who are in Christ will receive eternal blessing and welcome into the fullness of a life with God. We will be His people. He will be our God. He will live with us. So while it's true that the unrepentant, that those who reject God should fear God's judgment, because he will in turn reject them. It isn't a threat. It doesn't mean that we should live in fear, because if you are in Christ, you need not fear God's judgment. Because your judge is also your Savior. The one who will judge you, Jesus Christ, is the same Jesus who loves you, who died for you, for your sins, who intercedes for you, so that you need not fear. Now, Scripture does tell us to fear God, but this is more in the sense of showing Him the honor and reverence due our King, ascribing Him the glory due His name, living mindful of His presence, walking in humility as his child, the one he has created, resisting sin, obeying his commandments. We take our orders from him and reverencing him for his holiness, for his majesty and power. And we're only capable of doing any of this with the help of the Holy Spirit, which helps us to live according to the word of God to the commands He has given us, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount. We're only capable of doing this together with the godly counsel of fellow Christians, our church, and the teaching of the church. Doing these things is how we stay prepared for the time when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, something for which we who are in Christ are not afraid, but rather long for, with anticipation, expectation, and hope. Now, if we look back at the history of the church, we see that for many centuries, this season of Advent was a penitential season. It was very similar to Lent, with the emphasis on self-examination and repentance, reflection. But by the 12th century, which is a long time ago now, most of the penitential aspects of the season had been set aside 
in favor of a more hope-filled, anticipatory posture, a time to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the incarnation and his coming again. And as we heard from the Mansfield clan at the lighting of the first Advent candle, the first Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of hope, which we reflect on the hope of this season. So I do hope that this reflection serves not as a warning, but as a relief, as a message of hope. That Jesus, who is our judge, is also the one who offers us salvation from that judgment to all who have accepted it. And so if there is anyone listening who hasn't accepted it, who hasn't accepted this free gift of salvation from judgment, I hope this serves also as a relief that there is still hope that can still be found in Jesus. Jesus has promised he will come again in glory to finally establish justice and peace upon the earth. That his kingdom will have no end. This is the promise Jesus made. God keeps his promises, and so in it we do find our hope. And while he's not here just yet, while we do not know when he will come again, what we do know is that he is coming, that he is approaching, and that in this truth we can rest our hope. So now let's pray again the colic, the prayer for this first Sunday of Advent. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us grace cast away the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.